Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 22, 15 to 22. So that's Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. Now, a denarius is a silver Roman coin that is usually used in exchange for goods and services. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bimbo. Um, All right, thank you, Bimbo. So, um, if you are joining us for the first time, this we have been on a ser- series of, um, on the intersection between Christianity and politics. All right, so this is the third of four. In the first two, we tried to lay foundations. Now, I want to get a little bit more practical. Now, let me ask you something. How many of us have been in a situation where maybe publicly you are asked a question and you totally just forgot? Like you blanked out. Or I know the one you know. You know exams. You know that exam you read for? That thing you read for? You know the thing came out? And when you just saw it, like, you can't remember. You don't remember. It just blanked out. You know, sometimes we are found in those situations. And, and when I think about the season that we're in, the political season, it takes me to debates, right? Now, it's new in Nigeria, this whole debate thing. But um, 
In a country where they've done it for such a long time, probably they even pioneered it, right, in the United States, there was um, a few years ago a Republican primary debate. So it wasn't uh, a debate between the winner of both parties. It was now the, the, the parties had not yet brought their candidates. So the Republicans were trying to see who the best candidate was. They were having um, a debate. And there was this guy called um, Rick Perry. He was the former governor of Texas. Now, Rick Perry, at some point in the debate, interjected and he started discussing about something. But he then pivoted to talk about something that was central to what he was going to do as, he, as the president. That would have involved reducing the cost of running the government by, reduce, by getting rid of some agencies, right? Some particular agencies. And so let's see what um, eventually happened when he started discussing that. It does the things to the regulatory climate that has to happen. And I will tell you, it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> you need five. Oh, five. Okay. So, commerce, education, and uh, the... Um, um, EPA? EPA. There you go. No, okay. Let's talk, let's talk deposition. Seriously? Is EPA the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the um, agencies of government. EPA needs to be rebuilt. But you no can't, doubt about that. But you that. can't name the third one? The third agency of government, yeah. I, would, I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Oops. You know what happened? He was, he was one of the front runners at the time. It was either first or second. After this, you know what happened to his political thing? Nosedived. And you know, it's a situation where he was trapped by his own political question. And many times I actually think as Christians, that's the problem. We, the issue of, of the complexity of this uh, intersection, sometimes it traps us. That's exactly what the, the Herodians and the Pharisees were trying to do with Jesus in the text that Bimbo read. If you read verse 15 to 17, it says they wanted to trap him with a particular question. And the question was about paying the imperial tax. Should we pay the imperial tax? Now, we may look, think about the question like, hey, of course, now, what's what there? As in paying tax, you should or you shouldn't. You know, why is that such a, why does that trap him? Well. Remember that at that time, what we have now, separation of church and religion, right, in many democracies, didn't happen. Your politics was your religion. Religion was the politics. It wasn't, you know, so some people at that time will have thought that if you paid the money to the oppressors, you are, there was, it was a form of worship to the Roman, to the Roman um, uh, religion. And so if Jesus then said, pay it, you know what that means? It's saying that you who are trying to show us this way to God, you are betraying the Jewish faith. But if he says, don't pay it, like, ah, so you are trying to lead a rebellion against Caesar. That's why they, they, they crafted the question to, for, for him to give a yes or a no answer. Should we pay it or not? Now, as we see later in verse 21 and 22, Jesus gave a deft answer, a fantastic answer. 
in his answer when he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar and God what is God, Jesus avoided something that we often get trapped in when we think about Christian, Christianity and politi political engagement, which is two extremes. One is we withdraw. Withdraw, that's the first one. That is, you know what? The devil is the, is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. So if we participate in government or we engage politically, we are then being partakers of what the devil is doing. Who wants to be a partaker of what the devil is doing? Okay, exactly, withdraw. The second extreme is assimilation. That is, you, are, you see the um, fortunes of the nation so tied to the religion such that it is your obligation, your religious duty, almost like baptism and the Lord's Supper, to partake in politics. Because that's where the kingdom of God is going to be. So you are fully assimilated. And Jesus actually advocates for a different thing. That is not assimilation and it's not withdrawal, but it is what we can call engagement. Engagement. Now, like I said, we've laid those foundations. I, I, if you've not listened to the first two, I would say please listen to them on our, on our podcast called The Gospel in Lagos because now we want to build based on those foundations and the things that Jesus said, we want to build on these things to see how we can more practically engage. I would also read another text um, that we didn't read. I'll read another text in trying to do that. But I hope that as we go through this uh, sermon teaching, if you like, um, that at the end of it, we'll be able to give Jesus-like answers to some of these complex questions. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to think about this sermon. We call it Rendered Unto Caesar. I know in the text that Bimbo read, it says, Give Unto Caesar, but you know the King James just sounds better, right? right? Render Unto Caesar. So we've called it Render Unto Caesar, and we'll think about it in three different headings. First one, give to Caesar. Second, being Caesar. And third, give to God. Give to Caesar, be in Caesar, and give to God. Now, um, back in that Matthew 22, when these people were discussing with Jesus, now Jesus was what you call an itinerant preacher, and this time he didn't live in Jerusalem, he lived in Galilee, but now he's made his journey all the way to Jerusalem, and he's done that with his disciples. Now, one of the disciples, one of the key disciples, was a guy called Peter. Now, Peter will no doubt have been around Jesus when this conversation was going. And Peter helps us because where Jesus gives us principles in this Matthew 22 about political engagement, he's giving us the principle of political engagement, Peter builds on that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and he gives us the practicals of it. Amen? So let's read 1 Peter 2 verses 11 to 17. I'll say some things about that and eventually we'll come back to Matthew 22 at the end. So 1 Peter 2, 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as, to the, supreme, as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. 
Fear God, honor the emperor. Now let me say this. If we're thinking about political engagement, and sorry what Peter is saying, the first thing we have to think about, first and foremost, is we should live good lives. That's what Peter says in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. And he's not just saying live good lives like um, something you, you say, but he's saying it will have the evidence of good deeds, that they may see your good deeds. Still verse 12. And in verse 15, uh, verse 14, he says, the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, Living a good life means doing good. In other words, Peter and the Bible is saying, how do you politically engage? Well, live good lives. Be a model citizen. Be a model citizen. But then there's one question that I think we need to ask. All this doing good, doing good, doing good, by whose standards? By whose standards of morality? How are we going to do good? Especially, don't forget, like in Nigeria, we live in a pluralistic society. Christianity is not the only religion here. There's Islam. There are um, our traditional religions. There are people who don't have any organized religious belief. So when you say do good, what do you mean? Now, somebody will say, well, maybe I think it means do good by the Christian standard. Or as long as the people in church say I'm doing good, that's fine. And there's evidence for that because when Peter says, um, um, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Does that sound Christian good or secular good? Which one? Okay, I understand the guys that were in the first service, but does that sound Christian good? Imagine if the legislator came and said, um, there's a law now that we are, we are putting in place and it is for you to abstain from sinful desires. Uh, there may be something like a revolt. No, it's overtly, it has overtly Christian language, abstain from sinful desires. Okay, so maybe we should only judge by doing good by the Christian standard. But then if you read verse 14, it then says that the governors that represent the, uh, the emperor, the governors are there to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. What if they weren't Christians? On what basis are these governors doing right or doing, uh, do they measure right doing or wrong doing? Well, the simple answer and the short answer is that if you are thinking by whose morality, it's really an intersection of moralities. An intersection of moralities that is doing what is right by society standards in a way that does not violate your Christian faith. Now don't forget I said Peter was writing to an, a, to an empire, uh, to people in an empire where you had different kinds of religions. There were some people that were part of the imperial cult, so they even worshipped the Caesar himself. There were, when you hear pagans, that is they, worship, they had all these other folk religions. There was Christianity there, there was Judaism there, there were different forms of Judaism. And so when he's writing to these people in a pluralistic society, how are they meant to measure good or right? He's saying, look, look at those who are around you. If you look at those who are around you, what is accepted in the society based on the different religions coming together, do good by that. 
He's saying, as Christians, as model citizens who are trying to engage politically, we should be champions at doing good. People should be able to know that this thing that you've done is good and this other thing that you've done is wrong. And so he gives examples of that. Let me give you an example. For instance, one of the things is submission to the law. When you think about political engagement, there are some people that are thinking, you know, I want to make laws. I want to shape laws. I want to defend the laws. I want to govern by the law. He's saying, well, before you make, before you shape, before you um, um, defend, and before you govern by the law, how about submitting to that law? Can we submit to the authority? In fact, Peter says it more, very explicitly in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors. In fact, you've ever heard the same, don't rob Peter to pay Paul. You've heard that? Well, it's because of this, because Paul almost verbally, almost verbally repeats what Peter says. He just expands on it in Romans chapter 13. Listen to what he says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Obey the authorities. But he now gives a reason. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Wow. Uh, maybe, maybe it was a slip of, of the pen. Maybe he really didn't. Maybe we don't fully understand. So uh, let's read further. He will try to explain that. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Second time. In case you missed it. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. Remember what he did? For those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Can I say this as clearly as possible? I don't know what your politics are. I don't know who you voted for. But Governor Akimumi Ambode is God's servant. According to the Bible. President Muhammad Buhari is God's servant, according to the Bible. Can you stop looking at me very strange, really? Because I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You may say, no, 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 that was during the emperor's time. Um, <laughs> have you ever read about the emperor's time? When he says, as Peter is writing, like, oh, the emperor must have been very benevolent. Uh, no, he wasn't very benevolent. Maybe Claudius a little bit. Augustus did some nice things. But towards Claudius is the end, and this, he's probably writing in Claudius' time. He really, really became bad. Caligula was actually a bit of a mad person. Nero, well, let's not even get into Nero. Many people thought he was the Antichrist. And he's saying that this was God's servant. In fact, he's saying at the end of verse 5 of Romans 13, he says, you should obey the authorities, not just because you can get punished by them. He said you should obey them because of conscience. In other words, your conscience should develop to such an extent that you begin to submit to the authorities that are here, recognizing that God himself is the one that had instituted them. Peter says it, Paul says it, Jesus says it. What do you say? And when you go back to 1 Peter 2, later it then says, honor the emperor. I'm looking at everybody here. Maybe except mommy sitting down there. But even mommy, I think I can bet. Because mommy doesn't, mommy is always looking very young, right? But mommy, I can bet. Everybody here is younger than our current president. 
even if you don't believe the age that he's, he's I'm just saying, everybody here is, is younger than him. Now, if you go to Tomisin's mom and find out her name, hmm? let's say her name is Bolani, and I say, hi, Bolani, how are you doing? I, I hope she slaps you, and then Tomisin slaps you, and then me, I'll come and slap you as well. None of us would do that, right? You say, good afternoon, ma, right? Even though she has a name. You respect, you honor her. And then sometimes some of us say, that Muhammad Dubari, that stupid man. First of all, he's not your mate. What do you mean by Muhammad Dubari? That ambody self, who even, you know, because you don't agree with what they do. No, honor. He is President Buhari. You can say President Buhari's policy is a very bad policy. But give him the honor that he deserves. Why? He is put there by God. Oh, this is really hard. Like I'm preaching now. He is put there by God. Can I say this? The way we think about our politics, the way we act our politics, there are some people that are watching us. They are our children. How we model being a, uh, how we model our citizenry, they are the first people that will catch. Whenever you say you disagree and you become insulted, one of the terrible things about how I think our citizenry has gone down, and we Christians participate in it, is the cowardly act of um, uh, online social abusing. Just nobody can see you. You put a fake name. You don't put where you live. And then you just say anything and everything you want about this government and that. You say it online. We just get abusive. What Paul is saying, what Peter is saying, that are you able to submit under the authority? This is your requirement as a citizen of the country. Can you submit to the law? You see, when Christians become unnecessarily destructive, violent, rebellious, abusive, you are not being the citizen that Jesus is calling you to be. You are rebelling against God's instituted authority. And now it's not just in your conduct, in your actions. Let me give you one example. Pay your tax. That doesn't sound nice. Pay your tax. You know what Paul says about paying your tax? You go back to Romans 13, uh, verse 5 and 6, right? He says, pay your taxes. Do you know why you should pay your taxes? It's partly because these people that are the taxes, uh, the people in civil service, you know that's the only way they're going to be paid. How are they going to work? You work, you work, make uh, money in business, but for these roads to be fixed, for the regulations to be done, for the police to be there, all of those things come from your taxes. Pay your taxes is too much. Shut up and pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. I don't even know what they are doing with it. Shut up and do what? Pay your tax. Pay your custom duty. Be a model citizen. Don't try to buck the system and then abuse the people who are leading the system. Don't be part of the problem. But you always knew there was going to be a comma. Right, there's a, you're all just waiting for the bot. I almost feel like I shouldn't, because this place has gone so solemn. Like, can you really be saying that? Am I hearing this? Maybe you need to hear that part, right? Go back and look at your tax returns. But the, I should put one qualifier. What is that qualifier? That submission to the law is not an absolute command. What do I mean by that? Remember, we said it is where there's an intersectionality and alignment with the Christian faith that counts. Maybe this chart will help explain how 
what it, uh, when it talks about good and evil and how we should be good citizens. Now, <laughs> notice there is the aspect of what is God's law. There's God's law here, and then you have state law. And then you have this intersection. In other words, not all of God's law will feature in state's law, and part of God's law will be rejected by state law. Are you following me? But there's an intersection. So for instance, we said submit to authority. There was an issue in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. The disciples now are trying to preach about Jesus. Because Jesus said, when I pour out the Spirit, what should you do? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. So part of the reason the God of the whole world, now Jesus Christ, who is now Lord of the world, has poured out his Spirit is so that his people can go out and witness. So the authorities now come and now say in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, uh, don't teach in this name again. Say, wow. Okay, don't preach about this Jesus. Now that's the authority. Submit to the authority, right? You know what they said? They said, how about we answer you with a question? You don't have to answer the question now. But let's give you this question. Um, should we obey you? Judge yourself. Should we obey you or we should obey God? Again, don't answer Come back tomorrow, but right now we are going to go and preach. In other words, what they were trying to do was to enforce illegality on something that was unethical. At that point, you, are, you cannot disobey God's law. So that is, not everything that is legal is ethical. Now, on the other hand, I hope we don't want a situation, for instance, and I'm not, I'm not in any way endorsing this, but watching porn, or maybe lying, like how many of us have told the truth, nothing but the truth today, this morning? Think in your mind, in your whatever. Are you sure? Because that, you may have just broken that law now. <laughs> right? But some of us have lied. We've lied in one way or the other. You have not asked for forgiveness. Okay, no, you did confession. Oh, some of you missed the confession. Sorry, the lie is still on you. All right. Watching porn and lying, these are things that the Bible explicitly tells us not to do. How would you like the state legislating against those kinds of things? You see, there are certain things, well, maybe porn, right? But I don't think so. But there are certain things that are unethical, but they are legal. So what Peter and Paul are trying to say here, as model citizens, when he's talking about the good, and he's talking that you should be champions at doing good, he's talking about the intersectionality of God's law which we as Christians will say we have gotten through the law of Christ, all the commandments that we find in the Bible that apply to Christians, God's law, which will not always be in, uh, accepted uh, by society, but a huge part of it in certain societies is accepted. So as a model citizen, what you are meant to do is to be a champion of that intersectionality of God's law and the state law. Amen. We get that. Now, if we do that, we will be living out this identity that Peter called us in verse 11 when he says, Be, um, he said, foreigners and exiles. Remember, we talked about exiles last week, saying that we are citizens of another kingdom. But when you are in a kingdom and you are citizens of another kingdom, you are actually being governed by that other kingdom. And so when you are living in this particular, this particular kingdom, you try to obey all the laws as much as possible. But, for instance, if you go to the American embassy in Nigeria, 
on July 4. You know what's going to happen? Right? You, nothing will happen. Now, is July 4th a Nigerian holiday? No, but it's an American holiday. And so the staff there are being governed under, because they are citizens of America, they are being governed by the American law. So when they are here in Nigeria, they live as foreigners or as exiles. Amen. Now, the reason we do this, there are two reasons that it gives us for doing this, two motivations, right? One is an apologetic motivation. The second is an evangelistic one. One defends our faith while the other one commends our faith. Now, let's take the first one, verse, uh, apologetic. Notice what it says in, 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 in verse 15 of chapter 2. It says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. When I say apologetic, it's not as per apologizing, but it's taken from the Greek word apologia, which means to defend. What he's saying is this. Look, Jesus said that the reason the world hates you is because the world hates me first. I can't lie to you. I'm not someone that looks for, I, I don't like a victimized mentality, but the truth is that some people are hated because they are Christians. Jesus has promised that. That is, if you go to certain parts, I know certain people, uh, certain people in certain parts of the country, they'll tell me, I can't get this job. My wife cannot get this job. We are totally marginalized. Why? Because we are not practicing that other religion. So there are many reasons why people will hate you because of your faith. There's one big reason. Jesus said they hate me, so they will hate you. The master is not, the servant is not above his master, if they hate, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, so we start from that place. We are hated because we are Christians and we suffer persecution in certain places um, because of that. Here's what you shouldn't do. You should not give people reasons to be able to accuse you of wrongdoing. Let them hate you for hating sake. But then, when as a Christian you cheat, as a Christian, you offer bribes. As a Christian, you are abusive. As a Christian, you, are, you bring division in, in the political sphere for no reason. Where as a Christian, you avoid taxes. You know what we are doing? We are also bringing the faith into disrepute. You give them a reason to hate you. I say, ah, look at, isn't this what all Christians do? Sadly, <clears throat> when my wife and I moved back and we were... Um, you know, domestic staff and, you know, trying to get people. Do you know at one point we sat, we said, we're not going to get any, anyone that calls, and they often will tell you, ah, I won't do this because I'm a Christian. We actually stopped employing people that were Christians. In fact, we started employing Jehovah's Witness. That's another story. Because we were identifying this whole, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, this. We were putting it forward, but really they weren't living it out. It says, when we, do, when we don't live our lives faithfully uh, in political engagement, we give people a reason to hate us. So he's saying, look, if you live modern, if you live model citizen lives, what would happen is that you will defend the faith and you will put down the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's the first one. The second one is an evangelistic reason, and that's in verse 12. Look at what it says. It says, live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day he visits us. It has an evangelistic reason. You see, what our good deeds are like, they're like an aroma. An aroma. Just think about an aroma of your best food. Think. No, no, no. Don't, 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 don't be analytical. Just think. Can you see? I'm seeing something. Oh, my word. You know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing Eban F4. You know F4? Do you know F4 here? F4 row. Do you know what that's like? I'm not talking about, you know, there's, there's poor man's F4 and there's a real F4. I'm talking about F4 that has dry fish inside. F4 that has stock fish inside. Then, you know, the pomo, the pomo has to be like Maggi cubes. You know, if it's too much, then he engages it so that you can dip in with some eba. Stop, eat eba like three or four times. Take some pomo. It's not yet the meat. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. And you know how good F4 is? You don't take it on the day it's prepared. Because the day it's prepared, it's still green, it's so hot, take it the next, put it in the freezer, take it the next day, warm it. Oh, la, la. And then you now have that red, the red beast, the Palmer red beast. You know when that thing is being cooked, what usually happens, at least to me and my wife, and I know she's going to cook it this night. <laughs> the aroma, I just, all of a sudden, I start getting, I'll be in my office, I'm like, ah, there's something here that is making me happy. Hi, why am I feeling like this? I start smelling it. Here's what it is. As much as I smell it and it smells good, the aroma is not there for. Right? The aroma, if it's really nice, is a witness to the main thing, which is what? The aforo. Your good deeds will never save you or save anybody. Your good deeds are like an aroma that draws people to the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying that if we live as model citizens in our political engagement, submission to the Lord, doing all that is necessary. For some people, they look at that, and when they see what is governing this person with all that is going on, why can't you just be rebellious? Why can't you just be anarcho? And you say, I can't do that because I am under a greater law of a God who died and rose again for me. And that person says, not only does that smell good, I think I want to come and taste and eat. Let us defend our Christianity and let us also offer it in the way we are submissive to the law of the land as it intersects with God's law. So that is about giving to Caesar. The second one is being Caesar. Now, you may be saying something like, okay, but that's Caesar. You know, I, it's not, how do I obey this commandment? It doesn't really apply to me. Now, don't forget one way, you, you must never forget this uh, um, as you read your Bible. One principle of biblical interpretation is this. Understand that the biblical books are not written to you. They're written to people. Peter didn't write this book to you. Peter wrote this book to certain people 2,000 plus years ago. They're not written to you, but they're written for you. They're not written to you, but they're written for you. In other words, when we look at what Peter is saying to these foreigners and exiles, he's doing that based on a Christian worldview. I try to extrapolate that Christian worldview and apply it to my own context. So
So for instance, we do not have Caesar in our time, but we have Demos. Oh, Demos. Who is Demos? Well, Demos was the Greek um, common populace. That's what they were referred to. And it's from Demos that we have democracy. That is the rule that we have now. Now, I should say this uh, just as an aside, that the Bible doesn't necessarily endorse any particular form of government and says, this is God's own chosen form of government. This other one is not God's chosen. No, it doesn't really. It just says you are under one. Now try and be a Christian in one. For instance, some people say, ah, you know monarchies, you know those terrible things where you just had kings. First of all, we still have monarchies today. Now, I understand that monarchies, sometimes they can be indulgent, they can be authoritarian, they can be repressive, oppressive, as we have seen. And the Bible will push against all of those. But again, I have seen places where monarchies established enabled somebody to have a bold vision and actualize that vision because that person was not going to be voted out four years after. I've seen monarchies where the king, in fact, the people want the king to be there as long as possible because he's a very benevolent king. And those kinds of attributes, the Bible will support. And when you think about democracy again, which is basically an experiment of the last 300 years, it is really, really, as in the, when you talk about human government, democracy is really, 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 but the, the chart, the, the part of the chart that they occupy is really small. Now, but it's now the increasing form of government that most people are taking. Now, democracies, there are certain things that, you know, it will, um, uh, Christianity will affirm in democracies. For instance, it upholds, it's meant to uphold human dignity and worth. That is, the voice of the people counts because all these people count. And that's a good thing. And many times it allows for checks and balances of the system because it's, saying, it's essentially saying that you have sin, people, it's sinful people that govern um, the people. So how do we just not allow one particular person to become overlord of all those? Well, you have checks and balances. So in that regard, democracy is not bad according to the Bible. But sometimes the way that democracies have been practiced, you know, you'll say, is this really a democracy, or as one wise man said, a demon crazy, crazy demon, crazy demonstration, demonstration of? Grace. How do you know that? <laughs> we shall leave the man's name unsaid. <laughs> so God doesn't necessarily endorse a particular one. It is where do you find yourself? live and engage politically in that place. So we have no Caesar, but we are the government. So if in a monarchy as a non-noble, if you're a non-noble, like you're in part of the royal family, you know you couldn't participate in the government. So that you'll find other ways of political engagement. But in a democracy, we can participate in the government. So if you ask the question, can a Christian be in politics, not just that Christians should submit to the law, but can Christians have influence over the law? The firm answer is yes. That can be part of our political engagement. In other words, Jesus' answer, give back to Caesar, that call of give back to Caesar in a democracy includes participation in Caesar. 
Maybe I can help a little bit uh, this. How many of us have heard of The Economist? It's a British newspaper published every week. Fantastic. It's one of the oldest, 176 years, if I'm not mistaken. Now, The Economist measures the health of democracies. And it uses five variables. And I think these are really helpful to think about uh, the health of a democracy. So the first is the electoral process. The second is the functioning of government. The third is civil liberties. The fourth is political participation. And then the fifth is political culture. And it ranks countries all around the world. Two ends. One end is the, the best. The last is also another end. Which one is the first? Well, there's a country called Nigeria. Why didn't you put it first there? All right. The first is Norway. The second is, uh, the last is eh? Niger. Norway. Did anybody say Nigeria? Why not Nigeria? Eh? No, the last is North Korea. Right? How democratic is North Korea? Now, I think having these variables tells us something when we are trying to measure democracies. For instance, it should tell us that ensuring a free and fair election, variable one, doesn't mean your democracy is healthy if members of the press aren't allowed to write what they want or certain people who aren't plotting a, a violence or they're not trying to overthrow the government, certain people based on certain things are not enabled to gather, variable three. Or your democracy isn't very healthy just because citizens can protest online or on the streets, variable four, Yet, the civil service isn't well-funded or competently staffed, variable. And I think when we're thinking like this, first we have the principle that we must submit. We have the principle that we can politically engage. But we now see that that can be expressed to one, submission under the law, where that law intersects with God's law, but also participation in the political process, in shaping it, in influencing it, Christians can do something. They can make a difference. Remember last week we said we are not looking for a new Nigeria. We are looking for a new Jerusalem. But because we are looking for a new Jerusalem, we can work together for a renewed Nigeria. Now, if we're in government, for instance, here's what you can do, for instance. They can draft legislation, that's Christians, draft legislation that allows for the expansion of civil liberties or pronounce judgments to stop government from encroaching on civil liberties. Liberties. Notice what I've just done there. Participating in the government, but not necessarily in the executive. In fact, many times I think, here's the problem that we have. Election time is coming. You know many people don't know that we're electing House reps and senators. Because who really cares? At the end of the day, it's the president and the governor that matters. Do you know what we've done? By not really engaging the political process well, by being ignorant about it, we have implicitly undermined one of the tenets of democracy, which is the checks and balance of the different arms of the government. We, the people, have placed so much emphasis and importance on the executive that allows the executive to be so powerful that it can flout judicial pronouncements, and at the same time, it can just try to bring division in the legislature. The legislative branch is meant to make and amend laws 
The judiciary is meant to defend those laws, and the executive is meant to govern according to those laws. Ideally, as we know, the budget cannot go through that the executive sets up if the legislature doesn't allow it to go through. What we've actually done in setting up the executive so high, that's why somebody comes and says, I want to change this country. I want to change this country. How do you do it? I'm running for office. When he says he's running for office, you know what it means. He's running for president. A friend of mine who announced his candidacy for, the, uh, for running for president of the Republic of Nigeria, he announced it on Facebook. I kid you not. They wrote, somebody wrote in the comments, are you, are you serious? Are you joking? The guy gave us, he gave us five paragraphs of his manifesto. He doesn't even live in Nigeria. But he wants to run for president. This is an ignorant engagement in the political process. We have local government. We have state government. Before, we have the federal government. But everybody wants to go to Abuja. As Christians, there are many arms of the government that we can work in. The question is, what are you called to? So that's on civil liberties. Christians also can be agents of reform in the civil service. That is, if you get into political office, maybe now you're holding an executive um, uh, uh, position, you can look at the civil service, you can ensure that regulatory bodies are equipped where with high capacity staff, ensuring citizens are protected by the ills of sharp business practices that endangers lives. One of the things that I noticed, I remember complaining, complaining about many things. Ah, this, this particular um, uh, store, they didn't uh, refund my money. They overcharged. They, who do I complain to? We have no ombudsman. We have no regulatory bodies until I found out that we do have. We actually have them. There are plenty. The people there just don't know what they're doing. I mean, the staffing is, is terrible in a lot of these, our civil service. I, I was recently, I kid you not, I was recently, very recently, accosted at the airport by some customs officers. Right? I bought in some equipment. No problem. I will pay for the equipment. How much is the money? I spent about somewhere between one hour, one, uh, 1.25 hours to one and a half hours just with them as they were trying to calculate. There was a man there, that, the main man that was calculating. Just, I gave him, here is the price of the things I bought. Oh, yeah, all he needed to do was to apply percentages. Um, he was kind of, I said, okay, when is, I said, it's, it's, not, it's 10 o'clock, I want to go home. I'm, don't rush me now, I'm trying to do this thing, let us do our job. He said, just applying calculation. Eventually, he didn't know what he was doing. He called somebody, that, we had to wait for that one to come and do the calculation. By the time that one had done the calculation, let's say the amount was 55007. Let's say the amount, what, that wasn't the amount, 55007. You know what that is, Abby? Uh, you know, uh? Maybe I should test it, what's that? Okay, let's say that, that it's not time for the man to write invoice. I'm sitting there and waiting. Where is this? Write the invoice now. I go to meet the man. So what are you doing? He said, let me do my job. I'm waiting for the other guy. And I said, come, come, wait. This 55007, should be that is 55 and 7 cobble. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was stunned. You see, the, the man is so ill-equipped, so incompetent, that he can't actually read numbers, how much more in trying to help with the regulation, seeing the regulation that this body has come. As a Christian, you can go with your political power to be able to say, how are we going to make, how are we going to bring reforms that enables us to get better staff and retrain the staff that are there? Because don't forget, civil service matters. I know we can be looking down. Some of you are training your children, you know, NATO and the, 
and Amaka are bringing up Zane, and they are pouring out all the money into Zane, and now say, hey, you now go and work in uh, uh, national fishery services. Like, God forbid, bad thing. You say, Pastor, it's your own children that will go there. No <laughs> now, whether or not we do, but civil service matters. You can't talk about business, business, business alone. Eventually, the businesses have to pay some duties for the roads. If, if, if you have a fantastic business, let's say you want to deliver something and the roads are bad, how will you deliver the cake? Let's say it's cake. How will you deliver the cake? Say you have a haulage business. You are taking things from the north to the... If the roads are bad, what would happen? If we don't have police officers and you want to maybe open a, I don't know, a nightclub or something, Okay, that's not the best example to give a Christian. Right? Just walk with me, right? I'm not saying I'm not saying anything about it. But how will people go if you don't have police officers to keep the place secure? We need the civil service. It's not about looking down that man. That man, I'm telling you, was close to 60. So I'm not trying to. I feel sorry for that man, but I'm saying things have to change. Don't always think only about what I would do when I get the power. What will you do with the power? I'll give one more example of Christians in government. For instance, Christians can form political parties with ideologies they believe lead to human flourishing. They can also participate in existing parties to reform them. Now, notice I said they should form ideologies that, form, that lead to human flourishing. I didn't say they must have um, a, a party that they would put Christian ideologies in. Right? Like, when I get into government, Right? At the big, every Monday at 7.30 a.m., we are going to have eh, praise and worship. If you don't come, we'll know the enemies, the devils that are in this organization. Why didn't you come for, for That's the kind of party I want to build. There's no, really, there's no such thing as a Christian party. Now, you can form a party with ideologies that are influenced by your Christian worldview that will bring human flourishing for all people. And like in the context in Nigeria, that should not just be for Christians. These are the kind of things. Now, you may also say, I don't want to form a new party. I want to go into the existing parties. They are terrible, I know, but this one is so powerful. This is the only way you can bring change. I'm not, by saying bring change, you know, I'm not. Or, or bring power. Power, so let me equalize it. Power to the people change. Uh -huh. I want to go in there and reform them as much as I can. A Christian can do that. But while you do that, remember that you are under God's law. Peter said we are God's slaves. You are under God's law, not the, the law of the political environment. But that's government. There are other ways we influence the society. We do that, for instance, journalism through journalism and activism. You may not be in government, but you may be one of those people that wants to keep the government, the ruling elite, so that they don't become an echo chamber that makes them deaf. They don't become a ruling elite that is out of touch with the people they are meant to govern. So you may write pieces in the paper. You may do documentaries that actually, you know, highlight certain practices of the government to keep them accountable. You can mobilize people when the government is not in their policies thinking about the human flourishing, whether they are well intended. And by mobilizing people with the strike, you can get them to the negotiating table, as long as it's not violent. So there are many ways as Christians we can and we should be participating in the political process because Jesus says we should engage. 
Now, as you've seen, there's no one way of doing it. And let me tell you something. Not all Christians will agree on how they do it. Uh, Ibukun can form a, um, a political party. She looks like she will. Called the Fresh, Fresh Party. Right? Ibuku can form one. And then Amaka can form one, which can be called the, the Discipline Party. And both of them bring in their Christian ideals. But Ibuku is like, Amaka is just so, their party is so stringent. Why can't you just be fresh? <laughs> right? After all, Jesus has given us liberty. You know, Ibukun is a better hill song. Liberty. And Amaka is saying, look at the problem. They are party. They are so confused. They don't know. They have no general secretary. They have no whatever. They lack discipline. So as Christians, they may disagree. And you will disagree. And we'll talk more about disagreement next week. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't engage from our Christian principles and ideals. Amen. Finally, let's go to the last one. Give to God. Now, we've seen that political engagement for Christians consists of living under the law, but also influencing and shaping the law. And we said that we do this so that we, don't, we, we participate in such a way that we don't bring our Christianity into disrepute, but also make the Christianity um, uh, attractive. Those are two motivations. Nonetheless, if those two motivations for political engagement were the only ones that motivated you, you know what it can lead to? It can lead to us being self-loving pragmatists. What do I mean? Take the defense of Christianity, and you are now gotten into political office, and you say, ah, my motivation is I don't want Christians to say I let them down. I don't want them to say I let them down. Or take the evangelistic one. You do all this good so that you say to yourself, I want to be seen as the model evangelist. In other words, the real motivation is who at the center? You. So when you try to do good to serve yourself, you've ended up undoing, undoing the good that you've done. There's a way we can engage in, the pol in politics that can be us at the center. And what good political engagement you have is the good of others, not self at the center of motivation. And that's why Jesus gives us one reason that grounds the other two, a supreme reason for our political engagement that grounds the other two. Go back to Matthew 22. When Jesus wanted to say, give to Caesar, what is Caesar? How did he illustrate it? He said, bring me a coin, a denarius. And that denarius, you would have an inscription of the particular Caesar that's there. It would be, it would be more than they probably write Pontifex, uh, Pontifex Maximus, right? High priest or something. So Jesus is saying, look at this image. Who does it belong to? Who does it belong to Caesar? So give back to Caesar what Caesar's. In other words, Jesus is saying this: the identity of the image the object bears determines its owner. Give the object back to the owner. The identity of the image the object bears determines its owner. Give the object back to the owner. Let's say that. Say it after me. The identity of the image the object bears determines its owner. Give the object back to its owner. So you can then imagine Jesus saying, yeah, give back to Caesar what Caesar's because Caesar's image is there. And then Jesus asked him, so whose image is on you? Give it back to his owner. 
See, at the end of the day, the image of Caesar is on the coin. So you give the object, the coin, back to Caesar. God's image is on you. And so you, the object of God's image, give yourself back to God. Do you understand what he's saying? That your political engagement for you to avoid the excesses, the corruptions, the evils that come when politics is made as a God, the only way you can do that is to worship God in and through your political engagement. That is, if God serving, worshiping God is at the center of your motivation, your political engagement, all the different temptations that will come will not trap you. Let me give you five examples of those and I'll close with it. Because remember, at the end when he says, honor Caesar in, in, in 1 Peter 2 verse 17, he says, honor Caesar, but don't fear Caesar. Honor Caesar, fear who? Because you fear who you should worship. So for instance, take these five examples. Though we can and should run for political office, we must shun the winning at all cost mentality. What am I trying to say here? Look, you should strategize. You should build a ground game. You should fundraise. Be intelligent if you want to run for political office. Don't just say, well, God has called me and it's going to come. No. And there are many times you have to discuss with people, do all of those things. And after you've done all of those things, you may not win. Because sometimes the winning may come at a price. And the point there is, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the idol of winning or are you going to serve God? If your, worship, if your political engagement is a form of worship, you can say, to hell with that. God is on the throne and is the one that determines who is going to be a governing authority. Second, though we can engage in political demonstration, we must be mindful of peace and not use it as a power play of the mob. Sometimes, some people don't want to identify with the complexities of governing. It's not always easy. You have so many different parties. I weep for governors. I don't know how they, 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 they look at all the different issues. Security, uh, economics, all the different things. Well, yet, because they didn't particularly, you know, acquiesce uh, to that your demand. We know go agree, yo, we know go agree. You want to shut down the whole thing. As Christians, we shouldn't just engage in any, just any kind of protest for protest's sake. Let alone the one that can descend into violence. Again, don't forget I said that we can't protest. We can't do activism. But if God, if God, no power, because sometimes some people do this to show, you mean this man did this to me? I'll show him. I'll bring this government down. I'll make sure he cannot govern. That's a power play. You started worshiping the idol of power, and you are not worshiping God. Third, Though we can keep others accountable with our pen and keyboard, we must not shun being kept accountable by others. You may be good at writing, you may know how to critique, but if you've made a mistake, can people call you out and you'll listen? If you quoted a fact that was wrong and they tell you, are you going to double down? Are you going to try to explain it away? If you are on, 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 um, on, uh, harshly uncritical and someone calls you out, are you willing to listen? Don't say, I'm there to, call, to keep them accountable. You also should be kept accountable for Though we must compromise in some way with other people we disagree with, we must never be seen to promote good as evil. Please don't be naive. If you are going to get into political office, there is a need to compromise. By compromising, I don't mean compromise your faith. I mean sometimes certain principles that you espouse is not held by some other people. And so sometimes there is some political negotiation. That is part of what it means to try to get things done. However, you should never compromise to the extent that because you have to negotiate with this person, 
you start promoting what is evil as good. Never do that. Because you worship another God. And finally, this one. Though politics is very important, be careful not to recklessly use the Bible for political gain. Do not use the Bible for political gain. Don't start quoting verses that actually do not apply just because you want to get the Christian vote. There's a particular politician of the, of the um, ruling party. He went to a part of the country which is dominated by Christians. And the leader wanted to, you know, he went to cast aspersions on the party that ruled for 16 years, you know, about how they, uh, they messed things up. And was saying, look, we have to take them away. You people have to vote them away. Because they were still ruling in that state. You have to vote them away. And I said, look, even the Bible supports that our party should take their, their own party away. I said, eh? How? He said, open to Isaiah chapter 14. Eh? Verse 23 is there. I will turn her place for hours and into swampland. I will sweep her with the broom of destruction. Ah, that's true. <laughs> let's, 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 and, and he was holding a broom. That's close to blasphemy. When we so believe in quote-unquote what God has called us, that we are the change agents, then we start to see ourselves as fulfillment of the Bible. And we start, for some people, it's not quoting the Bible. For some people, it's some kind of prophecy. If you don't vote for me, if you don't vote for my candidate, this is what's going to happen. The skies are going to fall down. All of those things. Don't do that. Because if you are doing that, even though you are using the Bible and using prophecy, you are showing the true God that you worship. And it's not the true God. It's your own self and your thirst for power. Guys, God is saying in our political engagement, let's give ourselves back to him. Because we bear his image. But don't also forget, let's give ourselves back to him. Because he gave us his image in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this age has blinded their minds of, the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves for servant's sake. He's saying give yourself. Give the image back to Caesar that which is on Caesar. Give back to God that which is on God which is you. But that same God He's saying, give yourself to me in your political engagement because I gave myself, my image to you in Jesus Christ, who is not just Savior, but he is Lord of the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.